I'm Matthew Buckley-Smith, and you're listening to Slee Ricketts. Thank you all for listening. Thanks also to everybody who's taken a chance sometime recently. Taken a chance. So I guess it is a chance. Taken, taken the opportunity to tell somebody you know about the show. Maybe taking a chance. Maybe risking getting, getting slapped uh, or canceled. I don't know. What do you risk when you recommend Slee Ricketts to a friend? You risk... Uh, you risk making a better friend, to be honest, because then you will now you will have something new to complain to your friend about. Please, please do pass the word along. That is how people hear about the show. Uh, thank you also to all of the subscribers to the Slee Ricketts Secret Show. It is, uh, it's always a lot of fun. It is, it tends to be where some of the less, <laughs> less filtered more it tends to be honestly where most of the solo stuff is going these days is to the secret show feed so if you like the show if you would like to hear more uh if you have recently run out of episodes or you would just like to hear uh the stuff the stuff that i thought would be better hidden behind a paywall then go to sleevericketts.substack.com put in your email address and uh, I'll, I'll get you i'll get you a week's access for free there's a th- i think 30 episodes there now and more coming out all the time this week, Austin Allen is back. He's the author of Pleasures of the Game, as well as innumerable poems and essays. He's got a new uh, series of, I think, sort of essay blog entries at the Poetry Foundation on life as a poet and sort of three different roles of the poet. I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. He's here this week to talk about essays announcing the death of poetry. We took as the occasion for this conversation both Matthew Walther's recent essay in the New York Times that everyone in the poetry world uh, universally admired and praised. And then also Donald Hall's 1989 essay, Death to the Death of Poetry. Austin and I talk about whether, I think he sort of makes a case for for assessing poetry neither as dying nor as uh, experiencing a, a golden renaissance, but uh, but rather something in between. We talk about whether I have been right in the past to say that poetry is in the nursing home, or um, or whether there's maybe a, a another way to slice that particular question. It is fun as always talking to Austin, and I, I hope you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did. <laughs> wrote me a note uh, like a few days ago about the Matthew Walther thing and your note was was sort of like it's a shame that it's always one of two extremes like it's it's always like poetry is dead or uh all poetry is great like like you said like perky PR for poetry Mm -hmm. um and uh and instead, you said there were questions you wanted to ask. So I said, why don't, why don't we ask them here? You you brought in a, a um, an essay by Donald Hall, which is a lot of fun. Just just to start out, like, what are the what would you like these essays to be? I mean, Donald the Donald Hall one is a little bit of a different thing, though. It is maybe it airs on the side of boosterism a little bit. A little bit, yeah. And I don't. I mean, uh, when I talked about two extremes, I guess what I was talking about was you know you have the Walther which um, is a kind of uh, cantankerous, everything, you know, bad <laughs> um, position that he's taking out. And uh, that uh, that particular essay, which of course got a lot of flack, you know, the thesis was basically poetry died a hundred years ago and is no longer possible. <laughs> so, you know, give up everybody that the modernists and Eliot in particular finished it off. 
Um, so that's a really extreme version of that kind of poetry is dead argument, which Hall says is is just it, it, he was writing. Hall was writing in 1989, so the word yeah, clickbait yeah. wasn't around. Wasn't around, but he was basically accusing that of being a, a clickbait um, kind of uh, argument that people make, or an argument that people make just to uh, stir the pot and yeah. um, get people get attention. Uh, on the other hand, when I say perky PR, I, I just mean that um, officially, when you know, when when poets are talking about sort of the state of the the poetry culture. Um, in, in sort of official forums, there's an understandable wish to um, to be supportive of their community and to sort of boost the art form, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. which you know could always use more readers. Um, and so, you know, there's a there's a, a the way it's talked about on social media, for example, is often erring toward the other extreme, where it's sort of like everybody is brilliant. This is the best of all <laughs> years and the best of all eras of. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but it, it kind of, you get that kind of boosterist spirit. And the questions that I think are more interesting that lie in between are just, you know, what if this era isn't, first of all, particularly unusual, you know, right. as, a, as an era in poetry? And if that's true, you know, how does it stack up? How is, you know, how is American poetry, let's say, or Anglophone poetry right now, um, you know, how how do our best poets stack up against the best poets of previous eras? What are, you know, if if we have, you know, contemporary monuments of the form, like Walther was saying about the, the wasteland, which obviously was a monument and is, um, what, are, what are those monuments? Um, those kind of interesting critical questions, it just seems doesn't, don't, don't get asked that often, at least yeah. in public form. Yeah, the, I'm trying to think like one of the closer versions to that, though it is still kind of on the dismissive side, is when William Logan's refrain is that he calls this the age of the the tin age of poetry. But right. he, you know, but he does at least sort of try to identify some of the some of the better and and worse stuff happening then. I mean, I think I think his verdict overall would be there's that very little, if anything, will will survive from now. I, I, so I want to, I want to like press you a little more in that question. And then I also, there in the, in the, the Substack chat, there's been like a debate raging recently about sort of about this question about like what will survive. Um, and then I also like, I have been guilty of certain versions of this and I've been thinking about that like critically myself lately like i don't I, I don't quite know what i think but you know why don't, why don't you uh give us a give us a kind of an um so this is death to the death of poetry it's donald hall or this as you said in 89 he mentions the 90s in here and it looks like maybe he like updated it slightly for the because it came out i think the book came out in 94 okay um but yeah it looks like it originally ran in harper's in 89 he brings up a few refrains of this he like talks about a few examples there's the edmund wilson in 28 28 wrote is verse a dying technique which is at least like a more specific question and then uh joseph epstein wrote uh who killed poetry which he's pretty scornful of that piece but they, you know we're it, he, he points out that this is something we've been people have been saying forever and and he identifies a couple of of motifs and and he kind of has a an explanation for it. Um, so, what did you what did you make of sort of his overall treatment of the genre? Other, than, you know, aside from just like enough of this shit. <laughs> uh, what do I make of Hall's treatment of the 
of the poetry. Yeah, like, like he he presents sort of a like a thesis about what what this is. Like he 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 has this list. It's a little bit of a weirdly constructed list at the beginning, but he says that based on you know if you were listening to if you if you read the newspaper, you would get the impression that one poetry is a vacuous synonym for excellence or unconsciousness. Uh, and then beyond that, you would say it is universally agreed that no one reads it. It is universally agreed that the non-reading of poetry is contemporary, progressive. Also, only poets read poetry. Also, poets themselves are to blame because poetry has lost its audience. Also, everybody knows, everybody today knows that poetry is useless and completely out of date, as Flaubert put it in Bovard and uh, Pécuchet a century ago. So, so he identifies these as some of the refrains and themes of these kind of pieces. And then he... He said, oh, he, he expands a little bit later. He says, always the giants grow old and die, leaving the pygmies behind. And he gives a couple of examples of pieces about, you know, the, the great, great poets of one age dying and how there's nobody left to replace them until, until that generation dies, at which, point, at which point we realize they were giants and it's the next generation that's the pygmies. Poetry was always in good shape 20 or 30 years ago. Now it has always gone to hell. What, what do you make of these as, the, as his, like, broader claims like a, a lot of those certainly apply i don't know if all of them do today yeah and he connects this with people's just ordinary sense of nostalgia but he says you know people come to poetry at, at a particular time typically often when they're students um so maybe in their uh, teens 20s most people uh drop out of the poetry scene thereafter for for some length of time and and then maybe come back to it at a later stage of their life he he calls it you know their the church of poetry that they that they leave the church of poetry for a while and and then come back to it and uh find that everything's different and they're you know unsettled and uh feel that things aren't what they used to be and 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 use uh, a sort of um, hazy, nostalgic memory of what poetry was to them, say, 30 years ago as their yardstick for what is happening now, and they decide that everything has gone to hell. And I, I you know, I think there is something to that. I mean, I think for many people, uh, that's it. For someone like Walther in the yeah. New York Times piece, he he is making, he can't really be charged with that because he wasn't alive 100 years ago. Right. But yeah. it is maybe a, a similar route rooted in a similar feeling of cultural nostalgia or a, a nostalgia for a, a lost era. A lost... I mean, that was the, the criticism that the older poet wrote of him was that he was nostalgic for whatever he experienced in his 20s. That, yeah. That she wasn't even necessarily... Like what Hall is at least saying that this was like, you were at a poetry reading in right. your 20s right. and you were spellbound and then you drifted away and then when you came back, poetry was different and so you were bitter. But... In, in Walter's, and this is where, like, I wonder a little bit about this part of his claim. Like, are the like today? Would you say that people that there's a sense among, I don't know what, like mainstream poetry critics or or, or cultural critics that the the giants are dying, leaving the pygmies behind? Like, is that? I don't know if I hear quite that today, other than like Ashbery. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. No, I think I think generally that I mean, in some ways, the Walther piece, which got everybody up in arms, in some ways, it's a throwback. You don't mm -hmm. see this argument made as much anymore. Um, and uh, most reflections that are sort of surveys of the state of the art tend to be much, much more positive in tone. But, yeah. um, you know, and I, I and I, I err toward that, too. I mean, I don't I don't think poetry is dead. I don't think, yeah. um, you know. Here's my big reveal. I mean, I, I think there's plenty of excellent poetry being written now, but both of those extremes can be a way of maybe avoiding more interesting critical questions and sort of 
um, more granular surveys of what actually yeah. is going on in, in poetry. You know, what what maybe what prompted me to respond that way when I when I uh, got in touch with you was a sense that, um, you know, there's a, a in between those two extremes, poetry is dead or poetry has never been better. There's um, there's a truth that that sometimes doesn't get told as much or or um, or that you it isn't it doesn't come through always in um, contemporary poetry criticism, which is that um, it is true that most stuff from a given era kind of dies out, and most of uh, even an individual poet's work um, will yeah. die out, even if they are individually are lucky enough to be remembered. You know, they might be remembered for one or two poems. Uh, time does winnow things um, pretty severely. You know, the the, the more you uh, go into the future. And so uh, just as saying that it's all dead and, uh, you know, there's no point in anybody doing it anymore feels like kind of an evasion of more difficult critical questions. The opposite sort of boosterous spirit where like every poem that's published is called, you know, brilliant and every poet who comes on the scene is called brilliant. That that seems an evasion of that too. Like in between lies the more, the more difficult truth, like time does winnow things and uh, part of criticism is, you know, is making difficult judgments about what or predictions or, you know, assessments of what what will live and what will what will be forgotten. Yeah. And I mean, I, I partly feel, especially as I get older, that it's that it's almost futile to try to make those assessments of contemporary poetry like it's like the record for even very brilliant critics historically is that people tend to be very bad at that like yeah. the things that are coming out right now very few people are good at in any consistent way identifying what's going to be lasting or what's going to what will even be taken seriously by you know somebody a few generations later one of the premises of this podcast is like griping about poetry and I even did an episode a while back about you know how poetry is in the nursing home and and I like like Alice has talked recently about like how poetry is weirdly popular and it's like unnerving and she's right like there there it does have a it does come up seemingly more even you know donald hall complains that the new yorker doesn't review contemporary poetry books like that's not true anymore it's still not right. like every issue but they right. do there is more treatment of poetry in there and there there does seem to be more attention paid to it and there are more popular forms of it that people respond to you know, there are people who sell uh, sell a lot of copies i mean children's literature is always a little bit different but like Kwame Alexander came to my daughter's school and it was like a huge deal. And he's published 37 books. And it's, I mean, I have to say reading the book that it was his new book that they sold, like the, the illustrations were amazing, like amazing. Like the, whoever, the woman who did the illustrations was like, oh, this was like, this was like months of very intense work do it. Cause they were like partly sculptures, partly paintings. Kwame Alexander's writing real thin and it's because it's, it, he all, everything he does is in verse and like he's famous for like verse ya novels okay. to me it's like sarah rules i don't know if you ever saw her verse play eurydice it's it's a free verse drama so it's okay like okay i guess it's verse but like children's books already have like the words are spaced out on the page in a funny way so what but what's true is like 
there is a, you know, there are literary agents who ask for verse novels. They usually mean something very specific when they're saying that. They're not asking for Brad Lighthouser, but, but you know, it's it, Alice isn't wrong, and yet, like something feels funny. And I know that a lot of people, at least, like I, whether I've been right or not, I know I have touched a nerve for people when I have said poetry is in a bad state. And I don't know that it's in a unique decline. I definitely don't think that like Hall's, you know, model that it's, it was always better 20 or 30 years ago. I don't know very many people who would say it was better 20 or 30 years ago, but is it just that most of it's always bad? And so whatever's being praised now, it's going to be insufferable. Well, I think that could be. And, and another thing is that you have a, a bigger pool in, in Anglophone poetry now than I think you ever have before. I mean, I think the, MFA boom has been a real thing. I think that has expanded the number of people trying to do this thing. I think the, you know, the internet, of course, has broadly speaking changed everything, but you know, I, I think it has connected poets a little bit more. And I do I do see even, you know, in the past 10 years or so, I, I think there has been a an increase in what what you could call poetry fan culture, you know, mm -hmm. the number of people who um, are plugged in to what is going on in poetry seems to be increasing rather than decreasing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's I think that's good for the art form. You know, I, I I think that's who was it that said you know great poetry needs great audiences. That's well, that's that's uh, Whitman and Hall has some Whitman. kind of funny note note about that. Yeah. Okay. That, okay. That's why. That's yeah. 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 Do you do you do you broadly agree with Whitman? Because I'm ambivalent about that. Like I don't know. Partly because I don't quite know what that actually means other than just that it sounds good and it doesn't sound it doesn't sound false it just I don't know how you what how you apply that exactly well like is, is, it, is it an equivocation on great like is that why that is snappy yeah maybe I mean it's true that at at sometimes in in the history of you know English language poetry there, there has been some great poetry produced for a very small coterie of right. you know aristocratic friends or, yeah, yeah. or patrons or, or what have you but um i mean i think generally if there's a bigger audience and an, an audience that really cares about the art form that's generally speaking gonna motivate more writers to take a crack at, at poetry and to try and do their best work okay uh, maybe, yeah, the, the, I, I like i like I it better as a... will write no matter what i suppose but, right uh, yeah but i but i like that slogan better as a play on words than as a like a call to arms for audiences to become better like i don't think that that in that sense i don't think it makes a lot of, but like yeah like purely larger you audiences think, probably you think do. he was like you think whitman was uh i i'm because i i can't remember the original context now it was was whitman calling on the audience for poetry to be better and <laughs> i don't know i mean i don't i don't know i mean he was definitely a like a, a self-promoter and he he had a, he had like, he professed a love for the common man that often felt like it didn't necessarily translate to loving the way ordinary people would say, talk about books. Like, it, I mean, it, it, I don't know. It's certainly in the context that, that Hall brings it up. And he says, when I was in school in the forties, there were very, there were few poetry readings, only Frost did many. If we consult biographies of Stevens and Williams, we understand that for them, a poetry reading was an unusual event. In these decades, the, the magazine Poetry printed on its back cover Walt Whitman's claim that to have great poets, there must be great audiences too. 
but it seemed an idle notion at the time. I mean, there, I think probably poetry meant it as a, a demand that the audiences step up their game, that like there be better audiences. And then he says, he goes on to say, like, it was only later that poet that poetry readings became a regular thing or a popular thing. And they are today, though, I, I don't know. I mean, the way he talks about readings, they sound so fun and exciting and people really like they really did a lot for poetry again like i think that's probably true of spoken word readings today but like i don't know am, am i wrong in finding like almost all poetry readings i go to to be awful <laughs> well i don't know which ones you're going to <laughs> <laughs> not, not the I, ones of any of my friends but yeah uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I mean, do you like not only present know. company excluded, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, anybody who might conceivably have uh, we we might conceivably have seen perform. I think it really varies. It really varies, and I, I, you know, I do talk with sort of poet friends about ways in which the poetry reading, the average poetry reading, could be better. You know, I, I think on average there is room for improvement. That said, I I like poetry readings. I mean, I'm so I, I guess I am in that way kind of a poetry fan. In that, unless it's a really bad reading, right. <laughs> even a even a bad poetry reading or one that I, that doesn't speak to me that much is still a pretty enjoyable way to spend my time. It has to be really bad for me to. Yeah, I mean, it's I feel a little bit about them the way, like Alan Tate would felt about he has the line in some essay where he says like a love of all poetry is like a love of all women. It's in, like, it's, it's almost obscene. Like you, like you truly, what you love is like a very small sure. percentage, but I feel about that a little bit. Like when I was dating, it was like, Oh, I should definitely talk to her. Oh, this is going to be a real, like, this is going to be a lot of work. I'm tired. I really want to go to sleep, you know? And I think with poetry readings as well, like I hear about a poetry reading nearby and I'm like, I think, Oh, Oh, I should definitely go to that. And then I also simultaneously think like, this will be a bad time. Like I will not go enjoy myself. Well, I suppose I am selecting the the readings that I do go to, right? So right. I, I suppose I am going to to readings where I already know in advance there's a high chance that I'll you know that I'll enjoy what's what's on offer. Um, so so uh, Hall says something else about readings that I found a little bit puzzling. He says that the poetry reading helps toward understanding which explains how poetry thrives without book reviewing because the poet's voice and gesture provide entrance to the poetry away in a hand at the elbow. Is that true for you? Do you find it easier to understand poetry at a reading than on the page? Not usually, no. I find uh, it like almost infinitely harder. Yeah, yeah, in most cases. Interesting things can come out of it. So for right. example, if I'm seeing um, a poet whose work uh, I know well and like or love, um, and I'm seeing them interpret their work, you know, seeing where the emphases fall, how they how they voice right. the poem. That can be really interesting and, and illuminating. But as a as a primary medium for the, the transmission right. and reception of poetry, um, no, I, it's much more it's much more difficult. Yeah, that way to 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 feel not not to enjoy it at all, but to feel that I'm getting the full nuance of the piece, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I find it hard even to follow. I yeah, I just get lost so quickly. I mean, that's like like any reading I I try to give. Like the 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 number one goal in my mind is be loud enough, and the number two goal is like try to make at least some of these sentences understandable to hear. Mm -hmm. It just I, I don't. I mean, I I think I may have a harder time than than most, but I th also think like, but fucking, I do this all the time. Like I like. 
it shouldn't if it's that hard for me i don't you know i don't know yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and to, like, be, to yeah. be fair here there are there are poets um or and certainly poems whose uh that where, where the deck is really stacked against them in terms of the reading format i mean any poet who's doing um, a lot of visual stuff on the page, you know, anything, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, any poem that, you know, is heavily elusive and, and it's just easier to catch some of that on the page so that, you know, yeah. so that at a reading, they're forced to preface the poem with right. a lot of explanatory context. Anything like that is, it's just harder. It's just harder for the poet and for the audience to get it across. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the deck is stacked against them. Also, they, they made the deck, <laughs> you know. That is true. But, right. well, <laughs> but I, I also like I like apart from the whole poetry voice thing and and most poets not being great at reading, which is which is generally fairly true. I also think like most poets are not great at selecting poems for readings. I mean, do you find like I agonize over this myself because I my thought is always like, is this going to be digestible? Because this like I want everything to be basically as short as possible, as simple as possible, as clear you know, and that may be my 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 tendency overall as well, but. But like, I just think like most people are not very good at choosing poems for readings. I don't know if it's that or they're, or it's just like they're, or they're just not good at reading it. But. Well, I can't speak for most people, but I do as, as when I'm the reader, yeah. I, I do think about that very carefully. I mean, for example, I have poems that I've never read at a reading right. because I'm yeah. pretty sure they're never going to get across. Right. Um, I, yeah, I love like, readings most of the time. So, um, okay. so when I... Well, I mean, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's nerve wracking or, or what have you, but um, usually I, I love doing it. And um, as part of the preparation for that, I do think carefully about which poems might have a chance of, you know, really keeping the audience alert and invested and, and which frankly won't. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, all right, all right, so I wonder, like the the nostalgia he talks about in here, is, as you said, is nostalgia that people had for their own, the fun of their own youth i definitely don't i mean i've loved poetry most of my life i definitely don't remember feeling i remember feeling in love with poetry in college but i don't remember feeling blown away constantly by contemporary poets right did you i mean you also went to a a better and fancier college did you did you have a did like you all which is say like you probably got some better people coming through. Did you have the kind of experience he's talking about people having with the Church of Poetry in their 20s? I don't think so, because I only really took one poetry workshop at that point. I I, I took a couple of fiction workshops, but and I was writing poetry, but I was not deeply involved in whatever, you know, poetry culture was happening in that college at that time. Um, so I do think Hall is... is uh, talking about maybe a particular kind of young poet yeah. or student of poetry or young poetry critic, somebody who is really alive to and deeply invested in what is going on in their poetic moment, who is really invested in the cutting edge or the avant-garde. And uh, so, yeah, it may be true that for uh, someone who didn't have that particular kind of experience, they're less likely to become you know, cantankerously nostalgic as they get older. I mean, I did like think about like I dated a bunch of art students when I was in college, and so I I used to go to like studio tours of the grad students, and of and like those are so fun, and so it's just like so cool to see 
art and progress, and particularly when it's stuff that like I don't I have no understanding of. It's so alien to me that it's just like cool to get to see paintings and sculptures and things. And I can imagine having like I definitely had more of a sense of contemporary art when I was in college than I do now because I went to shows and went to museums and things. And so, yeah, I could I could imagine having that kind of attachment and maybe even it would be more bittersweet if I had been making it as well. Yeah. Right. Like if I like for me, it was just like not what I did. And so I just could kind of enjoy it. No strings attached. But like if I were also trying to make it and then had stopped, then I would probably have more complicated feelings about you know, if I went to see an art show today. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, I think like the story he tells about some of these essays makes sense. It doesn't quite explain Walther's though. Walther's wasn't, I thought very insightful for the most part. What he's talking about is not just an individual critic having a personal experience in youth and then returning to that in middle age. He's also talking about like the culture sort of looking at poetry in that way. So that there's the age of giants was 30 years ago. I mean, I, I truly, as I said, like, I don't think anybody would say that exactly, except that like Haney and Ashbury were alive 30 years ago. So I guess that, you know, maybe that, um, right. though, though I, though I seldom hear the same person praise both of them. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're both like, you know, marquee names, but, but beyond that, uh, and I don't, I mean, personally, like I love Haney and I, I'm, fairly indifferent toward Ashbury. Do you think there's anything particular about our sense of poetry history today? Like, do you think there's anything particular about, before we even get to like the poetry that's being made right now, do we, is there something funny about how we relate to or don't relate to the tradition? Like, cause I don't even know if poets today are like trying to rebel against poets of the last generation, you know, like I don't, I don't see, I almost see like no re reaction. I wouldn't say I see no reaction or rebellion, but I I, I would say it's possible that uh, creative writing programs, for example, right now, which are kind of uh, the beating heart of the American poetry scene or, or yeah, yeah. At least one of them, um, might be a little bit more focused on our era, broadly speaking, say like the last 20, 30 years of American poetry in terms of what is uh, taught and discussed than maybe used to be the case. I, I, in other words, I don't think there's really a culture right now in in poetry of worshiping our forebears, you know, yeah. and uncritically or uh, um, yeah. pining what? for a lost age that was like way back in the 20th century. That it, right. it, in that way, Walther is really really going against the grain because I think the poetry culture, uh, as in terms of how it's taught and studied right now. Um, the general feeling that comes across through in, in that setting is that there is a great deal of interest going on, almost too much of interest going on right, right now and, and has been for the last, you know, couple decades. And uh, that uh, that poetry, yeah, is in, is in vibrant good health and, and that it, there's just an enormous plurality or an enormous, um, you know, which is wide cross section of, of styles and interesting things going on. In the art form so I, I think it almost tilts more toward that do you see this age as having any because i think like when i think about the the giants they, they tend to be the same giants he's naming right as being yeah. though like the you know like the, the the names that most people would identify as being as being like sort of indisputably worth considering and they tend to be of the, the like the latest ones tend to be of that same generation um, I mean, among 
again, like once you get into a certain subgenre, then it gets a little more specific. Uh, you don't feel we, we have as many like consensus giants of the. Of I don't. The... I mean, I think Ashbury is probably the one everybody agrees is important. Again, like I, I apart from a few poems, I tend to find tend to find it pretty like not not even really all that worth while though he certainly was extremely talented yeah i, I mean so he, like a point he makes is that there is a um beside the weight of numbers another perennial source of confusion is partisanship when i was in my 20s and writing iambic stanzas alan ginsburg alan ginsburg's howl was a living reproach for a while i denigrated alan if he's right i must be wrong i like that he switches to the first name basis there just to let you let us know um, right such an either or is silly and commonplace restrictions are impoverishments in the 1920s, one was not allowed to admire both T.S. Eliot and Thomas Hardy. It was difficult for in intellectuals who admired Wallace Stevens and his bric-a-brac to find house room for Robert Frost and his subjects. I mean, that I still find to be sort of the case. Like, I, you know, I, I definitely like m most serious poets I know have read Frost and read Stevens, but I, but I don't often hear people enthuse about both of them. Uh, and I, you know, and I, I admire both, but I certainly prefer Frost. I don't know what I think of this claim. Like, is that, do you find, I mean, you have more Catholic taste than I do in some ways, or you have, yeah, like you have more, maybe like genuinely tastes, like you seem to truly enjoy a broader range of things. I try to consider as broad a range as I can, but I, like on the Substack chat, there was a argument recently about, it started with new formalism and I've, next, this coming episode is going to be all about new formalism with Cameron and how he hates it. But but the the argument was sort of well what which movements or groups will be worth considering fifty hundred years from now from this roughly from this era and the yeah. three that got thrown out as being sort of serious contenders were the language poets the British revival poets which I had never even really heard of and then I guess the current Caribbean Renaissance which I also I'd heard basically only of Ishin Hutchinson. Um, and then uh, Vinyl Capaldeo, Vani, Vani Capaldeo, I guess is also from the Caribbean. So apart from being sore about some of their dismissal of anybody writing in Meteor and Rhyme, I went and I read several poems by each of several of these poets. And with the exception of Marilyn Hacker, whom I just have not read all that much, and she does seem worth, I should read her more. I found the poems for the most part, like not just not quite my taste but like infuriating like they made me angry to read and like i don't think it was because i you know like a poem i would read the same poem five times in a row by martin corla smith and like try to understand it and i can kind of get that things are happening that like i don't see it's not that i get nothing from it and it's not straight nonsense the way it was in fashion you know 20 years ago but i i'm sort of baffled by it like do you just find that you and sort of in you're able to just enjoy all this stuff well you're asking um here about a couple poets and maybe even a, a movement or two that i i don't consider myself <laughs> uh, expert in at all and this is why it's you know this sort of goes to show that there is a lot happening in poetry right now that now yeah. the question that is being asked on your forum is is sort of the, the type of question that i'm interested in you know what right broad schools, movement styles, or individual poets, you know, have the best chance of, of living on. 
But this goes to show that, you know, intelligent people who read pretty widely in um, in the in poetry, uh, contemporary poetry can have widely differing experiences and and lenses on all this and come to very different conclusions on that on that question. I I actually don't. (laughs) I was sort of laughing as you read that because the the language movement to me is I think it's over i mean it, 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 it's heyday was yeah it's, oh yeah it's, it's, i think it's over now yeah, yeah. But they, i think they were saying like of like the language basically like the, the argument was the language poets will have a far more enduring footprint than say the new formalists um okay. and that's probably true for a variety of reasons i would say none of which have to do with the quality of the poetry but that's me yeah and i mean when people talk about like the language school and, and the new formalism and stuff to, to me those are all movements that pretty much ended or at least their heyday ended before before you and i started writing yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so the the terrain as it exists now is relatively unmapped critically i, I don't know that we talk much about different schools or movements going on now that's probably something critics of the future might be interested in, but nobody, you know, you don't, you don't walk around talking to other poets and <laughs> saying, I, I, I'm part of X school or I'm right. part of, yeah, 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 movement, yeah. you know, um, but in that, mean, in most movements that produced many interesting artists of any type, like the, it was not the artists themselves calling themselves that like it tended <laughs> to be somebody, a critic would say that uh, externally. And many times poets rejected the labels that right. they were yeah. in the records. Yeah. So do you do you have thoughts about what will endure from our broad contemporary period or how it stacks up or any of that? I mean, you said you're you're bullish on it generally. So I should have a, a you know solid prepared answer for this because I after all did bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I was, I, I, I'm going to be hedging a little bit on, on like exactly, you know, which poets or, or styles or whatever I, I'm bullish on, but I do want to say that, um, you know, to me, you know, my basic answer to this is that, first of all, you know, the, if, if the question is, is this era producing poetry, some poetry that can stand on a shelf beside the best poetry of, you know, most other eras, granting that we might not have an Emily Dickinson or a Shakespeare or whoever your you right, know sure. tall monument in the Pantheon is, um, are, is this era producing poetry that can stand on the shelf beside the best of, of most eras and and in and live on and, and be you know and um, have that not be ridiculous? And the answer is yes. I mean, I think there is at least some poetry. Um, being produced right now that is of the highest caliber and that it gives me the same pleasure um, in reading it that uh, that the best poetry of, of previous eras does. So in that sense, I do not think uh, poetry is dead in our time, right? If, if, if that's the if that's the standard, if if a dead art form mm-hmm. is one that's no longer producing art that can stand unembarrassed beside the beside the best art in its history, then then I think poetry is alive and well. But what made me, you know, reach out to you is is the sense that there is, <laughs> we should, as as critics, if we're if we're talking as critics and not boosters of the art, we should be kind of realistic and restrained and recognize that that truly durable uh, poetry is rare. It's rare in every era and it's rare in our era. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, we should we should recognize it. So I have in mind, you know, a few names that I that I think. Um, 
uh, have a really good chance, have produced a body of work right. that yeah, yeah, yeah. has a strong chance of, of living on. And maybe that's all any era can ask for, really. You know, but I, I think in, in framing it that way and in, in saying, you know, not everything that is being produced right now, um, as much as we may love it, is going to seem as brilliant and interesting as the to the future as it as it may to us or um or right. may not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, in, in framing it that way, like I, I think um I think it helps to recognize how I, I think it's useful to recognize how special and rare the best poetry is. Yeah. Um, I think I think it makes it more enjoyable for me as a reader and and critic of poetry and, and somebody who likes just reading and thinking about this stuff to recognize that really great poetry. I mean, it comes along slowly. The really great poems, even for the best poets, are kind of few and far between. Yeah. Like it's rare. it's a rare thing, and it can't be rushed or forced. You know. Right. Yeah. So if I if I stipulate that in in the full recording of this conversation, we each listed hundreds of names to each other of great contemporary <laughs> poets. And then I just cut it down arbitrarily to a, a, a small and incomplete list. Do you want to throw out a few or? Sure. Only a few do too. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, yeah. I think, I think for me, the three that come most readily to mind are Stallings, Megan and McRae. And, and then there are a lot of individual poems and collections. I feel you know, like I thought, I saw Ashley Anna McHugh's got a new book that she's trying to publish. And like, that's one I've been waiting for for a long time. I've been waiting for Bill Coyle's second book for a long time. The other thing is like, the closer I get to people, the harder it is for me to even have anything like perspective. But, you know, sticking only to the living, I think the you know, those are some names I at least am, will always, if I see a new poem, I'll always read it, right? Yeah. Um, and in, that, in those cases, it's, all, all five of those people, actually, I only ever had any correspondence with after reading their work with, you know, with because, because it with friends and acquaintances, it gets more complicated. Yeah, thought you have some thoughts or some? Yeah, it does get it does get harder with friends and acquaintances. So I'm going to as we said, there are many other names. And these are very yeah. complete partial, you know, yeah, the first names that come to mind. I mean, you said to I was Stallings and Megan, uh, yeah. Don Patterson. Um, I don't know. Yeah, if yeah, yeah. Don Patterson. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Though, though I'll tell you what I read his most recent collection and it was weak tea it was really sappy it was like I hated it because it has it has like one just killer killer poem and a few that are decent and then a lot that was like whoa what did you just like I feel like he was one of those guys who like had a like a mystical experience on mushrooms and got real mushy headed um, um, not like not like brain damage just like it's like like it felt very like we are the world uh so i don't know but i mean yeah but he's certainly written some poems that i you know landing light has some real killers and and um and the swing which is which is a great poem in a very mediocre collection but yeah yeah he's definitely somebody I, I, you know sorry go on uh those three marilyn nelson not um, read enough. her best book i think is is from some years ago it's it's the home place okay yeah she chose just uh joanna's first book i should should know her better than I do. So those are some names. And then, you know, there are all yeah, sorts yeah. of poets who I think have, who are still pretty young or mid-career, you know, who right. I think good chance of accumulating uh, that or, or maybe well on their way to right. a body of work of that stature. So, you know, people I'm keeping my eye on. <laughs> and you, and when you say body of work, you're also like, because Elliot talks about how to be major, you have to, you have to produce some, 
a certain amount, just just quantity starts to matter. And is that, I mean, partly, I guess that's because the, the real, real hard hits are, are few and far between. And also, I guess, because so much is going to, is going to be sanded away that you have, a be- you have a better chance of something being left over. Yeah. And Elliot also advised writers to write less. So it's, it's yeah, kind of, yeah. Like he's scolding people from both directions. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, yeah. Cause I think he setting his own work aside and whatever compromises there may be in his sense of like, you know, Ryan, Ryan's often used him as an example of someone who like, who like called a shot by saying like, what we really need is poetry that sounds like the poetry I'm about to publish. But, but I think like he, he, I do get the feeling when he's, that when he's being a critic, he's being a critic. And when, you know, and when he's saying things like, you know, write less, it's a, it's, if he were writing minor, the minor poetry essay as a, what is minor poetry? I think as a, also as a poet, then it, you're right. It would be like an, it would be an encouragement to write more, but he's, I think he's writing it like almost with a, with a scrupulously retrospective eye. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And and just to circle back to your T.S. Eliot question, I think, I think Eliot pretty much is right about that first claim that, um, you know, a, a, the full body of work does matter a lot in the end. And one reason it matters, by the way, is that, I mean, when, when we're talking, when when we're having this conversation that we're having right now, we, we are talking about sort of poets whose full body of work will will kind of will live on. But it is very possible. And it's one of the great things about this art form that it is very possible to be a one-hit wonder, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, yeah, to yeah, have yeah. one yeah. great poem that makes the anthologies and just, ne- right. you know, Ross talked about just lodging one in the anthology, so it's yeah. a campaign of, and that's great, you know, that that encourages people to try, that's part of the seductive, you know, allure right. of doing this thing in the first place, is that it really sort of, it does take one just to live on at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and uh, more people who, who write poetry as the field expands, um, I, I think broadly, like the the more you know, you, you get a lot of shots in poetry. You you, you take a lot of shots, and, and the, the wider the field gets, the more poets there are who have written at least one really good poem. Now I don't know if it'll be an all timer, you know, but it you know, they had they had at least and and Don Patterson has a, actually a good poem about this about the poet who's not only kind of a one hit wonder, but also sort of has beginner's luck. I don't know if you know. Oh, yeah, the rat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rat. Oh, yeah. that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I'm thinking, it's funny because I'm thinking of like at least three poets who are, to my mind, still best known for the one. I mean, Maggie Smith is, is I think she was not as well known as some of the others, but like she's got the one big, big hit with Good Bones. Patricia Lockwood has Rape Joke and Jericho Brown has Bullet Points. And like they hit, they, you know, those whether or not they're to your taste, like they all hit something with each of those. Like they, they, they hit something, they got the balance just so that it, it, it lands for being what it is. And like, I, I find all three of those to be affecting poems to, to differing degrees, but I do. Yeah. I think you're right. That like, it may be that, that some of the best remembered poets from this era will be somebody who just had one. Yeah. And that's, and that's great. Which is a lot. Like, that's fucking Matthew Arnold. I mean, he was a big yeah, critic as well. But like, that's, you know, that's pretty big. Uh, what's his name? Dowson, who, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has he has two, but the one that's two. really, yeah, yeah, that's really in Bill. Yeah, because um, uh, who's, uh, is it, I think it's Richard Eberhardt also, who is like very celebrated in life, his lifetime, has like the Fury of Aerial, aerial Bombardment and the Hedgehog, I think. But like, it's sort of like 
like there's you know there's definitely a an a side and a b side with those yeah. um even jarell you know jarell has Jarell. A few poems that people kind of you know kind of remember but the death of the balter gunner right, really right. bothers in the anthologies and yeah, really yeah. His that one and that's so not my favorite of his poems no, but, it's not but you're right yeah but you're right it, like it landed and that's the you know larkin said that this be the verse he said this will be my innisfree you know meaning that yates had it's like god damn it yeah i, I, I can't <laughs> not but and the, the the story did I larkin, say, yates, that? Did larkin <laughs> say that about himself or did um i know eric McHenry has a poem where he's talking about larkin saying that but i didn't know if larkin actually said that oh i this is the thing about all of these quotations and paraphrases is that i have no idea what's apocryphal or not so i, I may have heard the i may have heard that via the McHenry is like i may have heard somebody paraphrasing that and heard it and like yeah but maybe he really said it i actually don't know yeah 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 and i did and i did hear that um that yates would begin his readings with innisfree It'd be like yeah. done yeah. we're out of the way with like don't fucking no lighters in the air for innisfree like we're done with that now we're <laughs> now we're moving on <laughs> now something about the civil war uh yeah yeah no I, yeah that's so that that certainly happens i mean my my hope is that in a way i am there's something more like the poem that gets anthologized a lot, but is definitely not your best poem. To me, that's a more hopeful possibility, right? Than like when the one that everybody knows is definitely your best. It's also, it's sort of like, I don't know, there's something, uh, I mean, I'll take it, you know, I feel like I wouldn't say no, but how much do you think about that kind of durability? when you are writing or editing or submitting or whatever with your own work like to is that like on the scale of zero to a million or whatever well i guess closer to a million than zero but that's why <laughs> <laughs> okay you want you want to build things to last yeah, know, yeah yeah to last as as long as they can but you also can't uh scare yourself by you know putting that ghost on your shoulder as you're as you're writing every word and you know and right. and uh thinking you know what will people in the year 2100 <laughs> you know you, you also i think you do it, it's more helpful to me to to write as well as i can for contemporaries for you know for contemporaries who are good readers of poetry and whose good opinion you know matters a lot to me and uh and write that way than to uh and to kind of scare myself with with the ghost of posterity no i think that i think that sounds right i mean probably the times i think about it least are the, the moments when i'm actually composing yeah but yeah. because that's so much the minority of the time like what that yeah. means is that like most of the time is when i'm mostly thinking, you know so as, as you're as you're thinking about your work in general, or maybe as you're revising or editing, you're you're yeah, revising, editing, so like putting a manuscript together, thinking about you know reading rapturous reviews of other people's work, you know all that kind of stuff, all of the things that happen when you're not actually composing, like you know, yeah, uh, which like as little as I as I tolerate the treatment of poetry as therapy, uh, like I'm definitely a healthier person when I'm actually in the moment of composition mm -hmm. and probably in other in other moments yeah uh, not physically healthier but you know <laughs> you know emotionally maybe something yeah. uh yeah that's actually a really interesting question because i i think you sort of have to juggle both things i mean you would be lying i, I would be lying to myself if i if i didn't 
I'd be lying to myself if I said I, I don't want my work to last as long as it can and that I don't revise and edit it with an eye toward uh with an eye toward and with uh, with the hope of making it durable yeah. but in, as you're saying like in the moment of composition I I also think like I believe I, I think Auden was onto something when he said um this thing I quote a lot which is uh uh, art, art, if it doesn't start there, at least ends in an attempt to entertain our friends. Yeah, and yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's a weird claim. It's a debatable claim. But I think there's something to it in the sense that I, I do most immediately, for example, I, I want to write poems that if I am sharing them with friends whose judgment yeah. I trust, if I am reading them at an open mic or something, that they will get across, that they will communicate. Yeah in that moment that's that is more important in the composition process than than uh, appealing to you know critics 100 years from now yeah that seems really right and it like it's funny because i think that's i think it's totally true with with poems and i i tend to you know it's like you want if you're going to be like handing out hors d'oeuvres at a party you don't want to be like carrying around a tray of shit like you want it to be a, you want it to be you want it to be good news when you've arrived with something and not like oh. i'm telling everyone no this shit will last you don't understand <laughs> yeah. you, it may not taste good today but 50 right. years from now they'll yeah right. yeah i mean but but it's funny like i i think the same way about about this dumb podcast which is like in an era in which like it's very possible to obsess over whether or not you're whether or not you've stupidly recorded yourself saying something offensive or something, you know, people get mad about like the, the actual anxiety I experience is like thinking about individual people and whether I might've hurt their feelings. Like that's, you know, like that, that's the, yeah, um, yeah. the level on which it, it happens. I think with poems, it's, it's similar. Yeah. I mean, you, I, I think there are poets who don't at all think about austerity but i also then want to wonder like why are you writing poetry like the same question i'm talking to do you know philip metris I, I i know the name but i don't know his name. uh i'm talking to him about political poetry thursday and some of the listeners in, in the subsect chat were saying like I said, do you have any questions? And and they said, uh, a number of them asked like, well, if you're gonna, if your goal is to get across a political message or a political agenda, then like, why, why write poetry? And I kind of feel conversely, like if your goal is not to write something and shoot that endures, then why write poetry? <laughs> like, like there's like, it's, it's one of the very few things that it seems good, good at doing is enduring. Uh, so if that's yeah. not your goal, then, then what are you, why are you not writing why are you not a stand-up? Why are you not yeah. you know, a like a singer-songwriter? So a a one of the many like gem-like observations that John Irwin made that he mumbled down into the tabletop at the time, and only later did I kind of process it, was yeah. that you learn more from reading a major poet once than a hundred minor poets. Sorry, you learn more from reading a major poet a hundred times than a hundred minor poets once. And there's a lot of truth to that. And I've taken it sort of as, as one of my maxims as a reader. But I also find that it's a little bit like, did you ever read Vonnegut, the Vonnegut book, uh, Cat's Cradle? Yes. Yeah. So do you remember Ice Nine? Yeah. 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 So the, the idea being that there's this, this thing, which apparently 
in reality, the Soviets were Soviets were trying to develop that. Really? Yeah, they didn't succeed. But the idea is that it's this like chemical composition where you can it like makes it's a it's a version of water that like just like salt water freezes at a, a um, lower temperature, which is why we salt, you know, snow. The idea was to make a version of water that froze at a much, much higher temperature. And so then the theory was that they would drop this these particles into a body of water and it would convert the existing H2O molecules so that the whole body of water would suddenly freeze up rock hard in the middle of the day on a, you know, on a warm day. And this would, of course, has disastrous implications. I found more and more that this observation of his is like a particle of ice nine in my mind, because what it, I think where it leads for me is, is like, again, like in the actual act of composition is one of the only escapes because I can't, I can't think about posterity and compose at the same time, but the implication begins to be it's really only worth reading major poets and, and like, you know, and like you have your like major minors that you learn a little bit from, but then you sort of, I still feel like guilty about that. And, and then as a writer, it becomes the, the suggestion becomes like, well, either, either what you're doing is really significant or it's not worth doing at all. And that's where, that's where like, I wonder about, like part of the struggle with contemporary poetry being, as you said, like it, it helps to remember that really great poems are rare, but also if we understand that almost everything happening today is gonna is gonna be you know eroded and and banished by uh, time, then then why bother with it, with it at all? Like why bother reading anything written in the last fifty years at all? Well, I would disagree. I, I mean, first of all, I, I I don't think there's a neat binary distinction to be drawn between major and and minor poets. I mean, it, it's a whole it's a whole spectrum from that yeah, yeah. who's really only remembered for one greatest hit, yeah. uh, all the way up to whoever you know your, the tallest monument is for you. But but you so, but you actually you're doing something there that I think I do as well, but I don't think everybody does. Which is you're setting a floor on the definition. Of oh, poetry. I didn't mean to. Do, I see what you're saying. I didn't mean to right. do that. But but, no, I'm but, just... but I think like th there is like that is one spectrum. There is also the spectrum that includes everybody who didn't even get one in. Yeah. But and like that's, and you're and yeah. those... but like there, I think I think it's you know whether it's major minor or whatever else like there are yeah like people take minor to be a mere insult and I think like I think Mary Jo was was more right than I thought at the time when she said I aspire to be a minor poet. Um, and yeah, I think so what she did is like, I aspire, to, I aspire to be like a significant minor poet, you know? Yeah, I guess I was defining a, a minor poet as, as a minor poet who is remembered, you know, for, for some reason years later. But in terms yeah. of Irwin's questions, I, I think it's good to to read as widely as you can and not um, uh, not, not uh, decide up front that as a foregone conclusion that a poet will or will not be worth reading. I mean, you there's also no consensus on who counts as the uh, as the members of the canon or the pantheon or anything so a, yeah. a minor poet for somebody else might end up being a major poet for you in terms that's, of that's that's true i mean but i think like i even yeah i don't know maybe it's maybe it's less about truly the distinction between major and minor because i find that almost nobody like again i I'm, I'm sort of more i'm having a nostalgia festival for my only old teachers but like i i i was more in agreement with dave smith than i thought when he said like if you're talking about major poets then you know for him that's 
Shakespeare, Horace, Homer, Virgil, Dante, you know, Milton, like a, a few others, but not like he's talking about that tier. Mm -hmm. And so even like, like turning to Thomas Hardy for comfort is, you know, depending on like, I think, I think, I think most people tend to use major to mean what, what like Eliot would use like a, a major minor or like a significant minor poet um, to me, which, yeah. So like those distinctions don't matter as much, but I guess like, it's more about a sure thing. It's more about like, like that was the thing is like reading all of these contemporary poets that smart, well-read people were recommending and they were just driving me fucking up the wall. I then it's like, I needed to go read something that I knew it would at least be, at least be good. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with Erwin that, in the, that there is a value in rereading um, you, the poets who for you are the best of the best and, and uh, that you love the most, but you know, you, there's also time to, to read whatever's come out in the latest journal and i and, and for me I, I'm, I'm not just saying that as a as an abstract right, yeah. <laughs> um you know value claim or something i i mean that for me it's it's as fruitful too and i i i like reading what is coming out now and find that generally as helpful as it is to go back to and, and reread old favorites in the end you know the almost by definition your your favorites or your major poets are going to mean more right um, yeah yeah I think, uh, but um, or you may learn more from them. But there's a yeah. value from both. Yeah, no, I mean that that's probably true. I remember Ryan saying something interesting to me because he's been editing literary matters for a number of years now, and I, I sort of like somewhat pretend to help out there from time to time. But but he he had an interesting thought about like, you know, he's choosing and often soliciting and paying poets for poems. And he said, like, he he would be insane if you didn't if you weren't doing this with the full knowledge that almost all of this, if you know, almost all of this is going to completely vanish from time. Like, almost none of this will be remembered. But that there was, he thinks like there's value in like more than just a you know a Sisyphean sense in in really choosing and selecting and curating poetry or a magazine even if it's just going to be totally ephemeral but like there was some value in like choosing what he thought was better than other poems and publishing those even if none of those poems that you chose will ultimately last i'm sure that's true i'm sure he's right about that I, i've well, never but, well but wait a minute but are you sure also as a reader like what is like i'm sure meaning what like i'm sure because ryan's a smart guy or i'm sure because you have that experience reading like when you read a new magazine or some of the poems, the new magazine, and none of them are mind blowing, but they're all of a certain quality. That's, that's value. I mean, is it just, you know, what, what's, what's the value then? What's the value of just being say an, an editor or a reader of a lot of contemporary poetry and just sort of deciding for yourself, just whatever, you know, whatever happens to come over the, transom uh deciding for yourself which which poems you like which poems you don't which you know so, sort of yeah yeah but all, i mean also like understanding that uh it's like you know editing a magazine rather than editing an anthology say whereas like in an anthology you're you know with 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 few with a few exceptions you're mostly saying like this is going to be 
you know, call it canonical or not, but like this is this is this is going to stand up. So at least you know, I I I think this or much of this will stand up. And with a as a magazine editor, it, it's it's much more ephemeral. You you're you know you have much less to choose from, and you even if you want it all to be good, and you are going to be maximally perky about all of it, and you're only going to say the most superlative things about all of it, you know that it's a much more it's a much more motley bunch yeah um, but what like but there is still value in doing that and there's value for the reader as well you would say absolutely i, I i've never uh, been the lead editor for a magazine as ryan is but i've read submissions for a few different magazines over the years i did i, I it's a um it's a commitment i, I mean it's work but yeah, it yeah. did feel like valuable work absolutely I wouldn't want to spend my whole reading life doing that. Right, right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do, you do want to, you know, return to the books that, and authors that really nourish you. Uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't think you'll. I wouldn't advise anybody to only read the <laughs> very newest right. poems in, on the scene. But I, I don't know that that's what you're asking either. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't I don't know either because I also think like when I judge for a contest or read some, I mean, the submissions tend to be a little different because I'm often they're often solicited work or you know, but I find that that kind of reading seldom, as you would put it, nourishes me. Partly because I think I'm not taking the I'm not making the effort to try to read deeply. I'm mostly reading in order to kind of identify as quickly as possible whether there's something worth coming back to. But yeah, I also, I mean, it feels like in the same way that like editing and help, like helping students with their poems feels to me like, like a, giving a lecture can be really invigorating, but helping yeah. students with their poems feels like it's a withdrawal from the account rather than a deposit. Oh, okay. Well, um, one thing, I mean, one thing that that kind of experience, and now, I'm, now I'm talking about reading submissions again, working with students is a, is a totally different matter, but reading submissions will give you, if nothing else, a sense of current trends. Yeah. Um, you know, if, what uh, what people are generous, <laughs> what's in fashion and, yeah, and yeah, what's, yeah, uh, yeah. what's less in fashion. And you can, if that matters to you, as I think it does to every poet in some way, you know, you have to orient yourself somehow toward trends in, in, um, in the art form, then, then you, uh, then that is a way of of uh, orienting yourself. I, I found it helpful in the sense of uh, just um, yeah, knowing what was popular, seeing seeing what a submission looks like, like just being in that in that judgment seat, you know, and seeing what uh, just reading say five submissions from a hundred different people, you know, over the course of a, of a week. Uh, what bored me? What yeah. what caught my interest? What what jumped out? You know, th those things can be very helpful. And also, e you know, even as a e now that's thinking sort of for myself as a writer, but even right. as yeah, a yeah, yeah. reader, you know, if you get a hundred poetry submissions uh, that are brand new, and and there's nothing in there that touches or interests you in any way, I mean, that's a that for me would be rare i mean right. you, you know you, you probably won't get the next 
<laughs> wasteland. <laughs> right. It's the Matthew Walter standard. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But it's like, you know, it's like talking to a hundred people and none of them have anything interesting to say. I mean, that would be that would be rare. So, you know, it, it, there's usually going to be something to me uh, of interest to me as a reader. Is it, what does it tell you or be like that I would have way more faith that a brief casual conversation with a hundred people would be like, I, I would feel completely confident that at least a good number of those people are going to interest me. Whereas like, why are people less interesting in their poems than their encounters? Like, why do they, they distill their thoughts into the less, like it becomes for most people, it's not like, I often find like for the poets I most admire, they are, they often are very awkward in person. Like their, their small mm -hmm. talk is often not all that great. Oh, but, very true. You know, right. But, but I mean, like by contrast, most people, when they sit down to write a poem, become more boring. Oh, that may be, that may be true. And what I can't promise is, you know, if I read a hundred submissions that I'm going to remember anything from them you know, uh, six months later that I can't, you know, I, I don't, I, in other words, I don't expect necessarily that um, something will, will stick with me that much yeah. as we're talking about poetry living on, but in the moment, you know, I, I, I guess I am a little less, <laughs> less jaded than you are, you know, in the moment, if, if I'm reading those hundred submissions, I will, um, I will probably find something that strikes a spark or interests me on some sort of human level as a reader. Yeah. And, um, and it, and you, I, I don't think you, I also don't think you want to live your whole reading life, just reading classics. Right. No, 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 no. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. a good way to get real stiff and boring real quick. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, in part, in, in part, like the great, great writers, what's often evident is that they, they had a sweet tooth at times for, for like good trash and you can, you huh? can steal and learn from good trash. Yeah, I mean the bigger the bigger fear I have reading submissions or or judging things is like like I, just this this contest I just started read like the first two manuscripts I looked at the experience of reading those poems was very very similar to me to the experience of reading Martin Corliss Smith and Bonnie Coupledeo and Lynn Hoginian. just like I believe that this person is smart. Mm -hmm and has taken a certain kind of care with his language, but it's totally infuriating to read. And it is couldn't be less interested in my enjoyment or in any kind of clarity. And it like makes me mad as I sit there trying to go line by line through it. And, and that's like, on the one hand, that makes me say, no, I don't, I like, like I stamp no on this manuscript. But on the other hand, I think like, what is this? What am I missing? Like, what is it that clearly so many other, like I could very well be reading a, a manuscript that like lots of much smarter, better read people would all agree is objectively very significant. And to me, it, it's just infuriating. And so that, you know, like it makes me less certain of my own taste. Like the more submissions I read, the less I have any sense of what good is anymore. That's you know? interesting. Which is where like Arnold has that whole weird idea about touchstones. And I think he, he tries to like like extract individual lines and that doesn't work at all, I think, because of, right. you need the whole. But I think like there, I definitely use that principle at times of like, I need to go read something that I know is really good in order just yeah. to like, like get my, like reset my white balance on my, you know, right. like in a, in a video camera. I completely know what you're talking about there. And that actually makes me think of you. You had an, you had a, a, an essay a few years back where you reviewed 
or surveyed at least 99 yeah yeah con yeah collections at once so so you actually yeah. are the yeah, I mean, and out of those 99, I found, found, yeah, and there were some poems I really liked in there, but mostly it just made me think that there's no, that like the poet, there is no meaningful definition of poetry, except that somebody called it poetry. Yeah, I, I think we, I think I've said on this podcast before that the definitions of poetry are so slippery. I don't, I don't even, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, you made but me think yeah. of one other thing Sorry, though, which, which is just that, you know, as I'm, when I say that when I'm thinking about the process as I'm reading just a bunch of new contemporary poems at once, whether that's as for a magazine or just reading, yeah. you know, a lot of contemporary journals or something, I, I must ha have a, a heightened sense of envy or something, because I think, you know, one, one, one experience that like helps you know that you're reading a poem that you really think is good yeah. is that it, you know, you get a little bit envious as a, oh. Uh, yeah, creative. I think that's the I think that's the only true compliment a poet yeah. can pay. Is yeah. that I wish I had written it. Because yeah. that that you know is true. Like that you know is not like you do some really fascinating things with your language, which is like right. that's right. it could be easily be a, a dismissal as well. Yeah. Um, no, envy is envy is the only the only reliable standard. Exactly. And and I, I, I guess what I'm saying is that um so so it's pretty rare that I get that for a whole poem, much less a whole book or something like that. But I, 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 my envy detector, you know, right, yeah. um, envy mechanism or whatever gets easily triggered even by like parts of poems or aspects yeah, of lines poems. or, you know, yeah, it's like, I just, I wish, you know, even if I don't, I wouldn't die to have written that poem. It, it's like, I wish I could have that angle on the world or I wish I were capable of that kind of, you know, ambitious form or, or what, you know, whatever it is, because you can only, you can only ever be the one person. You can only ever be the one poet and you do get bored of your limitations, <laughs> you know, oh, so, yeah, so reading contemporary poets, even if they're, and poems, even if they're not my favorites, I guess the nice way to say it would be that it broadens me in that way. <laughs> but the, right, the right, right. Would, way would be saying like, I see a bunch of things that I can't do, you know, or I, I would have a hard time doing, even if I'm not seeing them done to the absolute highest degree of perfection. Right, right, right. Uh, it, it can yeah. be so refreshing in that way, you know. No, that I mean, that's that's and yeah, that's the you could make about poets the joke about actors that it takes you know one to screw in the light bulb and and seven to say I would have done it differently. <laughs> um, but I think that's true. Like that is definitely like there's true absolute envy, as you said, is rare, but much more common is like, Ooh, what a cool idea. I would have done this. I would have done it. You know? Yeah. That's, and that that's is a, a that's, that's a worthwhile just, experience. Just, that's a great line. You know, that's a great line and I would never have thought of it, you know? Yeah. 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 No, that's certainly. Thing. So yeah, no, I think that you've, you've sold me again on reading contemporary <laughs> poetry. I just, I find my, I find it harder and harder to trust my own taste anymore. Um, yeah. yeah. You too. To trust my own taste as some yeah. sort of gold standard, yeah, that, it's it it does get harder. It gets harder rather than easier. Why? Why would I? Yeah, why would that? Why wouldn't? Why wouldn't it get easier? Like, wh why wouldn't you? Is it just because we become less sure of everything as we get older? Or maybe, <laughs> maybe. Was it Brian? Somebody was pitching to me some theory. It may have been Brian about like. Like a meaningful distinction between per no, that sounds like something I would pitch to him. Like a meaningful distinction between personalities being like, do you get more or less certain as you get older? 
No, I think it may have been Jonathan. Do you know the poet uh, David Rakoff? He's no he, longer alive. He died. No. Did he sometimes do stuff on This American Life? He might have. Yeah, I don't know his work all that well, but there's a he has a a video that you can probably link to. It, he's talking about writing, and he's talking about how writing is just the one human activity that just never gets easier. Like every fucking time you sit down to <laughs> yeah. the desk, you know, you feel like a fool. And it's a, it's a great funny video, but maybe, maybe the same thing is true of, of, of just criticism and <laughs> exercising your readerly judgment. It just never, I don't know. It only gets harder as you age, I think. And you've you're seen yourself. Of yourself. Yeah. You've seen yourself be wrong. So yeah. many more times, like as you get older, yeah. you keep, you only see more things you were wrong about. Yeah. So you can, can't pretend to that kind of a, authority that you sort of fake when you're young you know that is true like yeah like if you because it's it's you can't win because you either you either failed to recognize something that turned out to be great or you liked something no one else liked and then it got ruined when everybody caught on to it like you don't you don't get to you don't get to savor either yeah either end of that uh that may be true uh, well, th- thank you so much for for uh, doing this. Do you have like um, questions, challenges, prompts, fights you want to pick with uh, th- th- things to say about Amit Mashmadar? I think Brian was a little unfair to his uh, "I am Charlemagne." Thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because he didn't, I mean, he also Alan, didn't listen to it. For one thing, joking yeah. or exaggerating, but yeah, oh yeah, and and that was as uh, as I think Amit pointed out too. I believe that was Waterloo too. So it's not like that was that was like. That was a great strategy for right that was like a it revealed something rather than being a yeah a strategy being a being great writing advice yeah. that was this week's show you can find austin allen on twitter at let me look up his austin, oh no there's like a bunch of austin allens on twitter you know what i don't know that he's even on twitter anymore anyway i can't find him but Uh, You can find his writing on the Poetry Foundation, and you can buy his book, Pleasures of the Game, at any of the places you normally buy books, uh, or just at the Waywiser website, which is probably where I will link to. Thank you to Austin for coming back, and thank you to all of you for listening. With any luck, I will be speaking to you again very soon. Until then. (laughs) 